0: Welcome back to AHP. Thank you for joining me. I do appreciate it. On the line, I've got Mitch Brewer from Three Sixty Five Precision Training, who I'm going to bring onto the show in just a few moments. Uh, if you want to shoot long range, I've just got into it myself with my two four three environments, and let me say I think it's absolutely fantastic. If long range shooting and learning about your rifle, learning about scope, learning about reloading, factory ammo, light barrels versus varmint barrels, we're going to talk about scopes. You know, MOA, Milradian scopes, what type of reticles you're going to need, what equipment binoculars range finders and also you know ballistic co of different types of bullets is there a difference uh we're going to talk about shooting from a bipod and whether that's you know different from shooting from a sandbag when you're out in the field you know external forces such as wind you know being able to trajectory validate your particular loads via ballistic uh, applications that you can actually download to your phone so these are a lot of things we're going to talk about so we're going to bring mitch onto the show right now mitch welcome to the show mate thanks for joining me to talk about long-range shooting I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, no worries, Jase. I uh, appreciate you getting in touch and inviting me on the show.
0: Absolutely. I do. I enjoy a bit of the long range. You know, I just got into it myself. I wouldn't even remotely call me an expert, definitely a novice. Um, first off, I guess, so if people want to you know, book in for a course, tell us about the business, where you do them, how they can get in contact with you, and what courses you offer for people that want to start stretching out and shooting long range.
1: Yeah, sure, mate. No worries. So uh, we're located uh, one hour sort of Northwest uh, at uh, Tamworth, New South Wales. Um, yeah, we're sort of catering for sort of yeah all walks of life when it comes to shooting. Uh, offering basic, intermediate, uh, advanced courses for long range shooting. Uh, we're even offering 500 um, meter hunting courses, which entails of uh, how how guys of normal normal hunting rifles who can't afford uh, expensive scopes and long range setups how they can effectively shoot a lot more accurate out uh, to 500 meters. Instead of just guessing it and hoping for the best, so we're, we're currently offering them courses. Um, most uh, the dates, prices, it's, it's all up on the website. Um, you can check that with a lot of uh, frequently asked questions that are on there. Um, covers most things, but yeah, usually other than that, guys just get in touch via uh, email, Facebook, or, or just ring me up, mate. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What's the What's the website if they want to jump on there just to have a quick look?
1: Yeah, if you want to have a look at that, it's www.365precisiontraining.com. And, um, yeah, should find most information. It's, uh, slowly getting updated as we go along. But, yeah, there's, there's, there's enough information to, uh, get your head around things there anyway. So,
0: what sort of courses do you offer? Is there a range? Like, is it intermediate, as you said? Is there, do people generally start in the first one? If they don't have much experience, obviously then move up?
1: Yeah, like, we've had a lot of people come in, um, and sort of said that they want to jump into an intermediate course. But yeah, to what to what they sort of think uh their skill is at. I, I I encourage everyone to do a basic course first because um we've had a lot of guys come through who who no fault of their own. They they said, you know, they're they're good to go out past a thousand meters or whatever and that and um there's a lot of things that they didn't know, um which they would have been, benefited from with with a basic course and that. So I encourage everyone to Attend, attend a basic course first where we focus on the fundamentals, rifle setup. Basically, you, you could have no idea about shooting any range, and uh, we can get you out to 1,000 metres on the second day easily enough. So, um, but yeah, he covers. We go over a rifle setup, scopes, how everything works. You know, we start right from the bottom and build right up and sort of take it, take it to 1,000 metres. That's for a basic, intermediate course. Uh, we advance then again, which is a three-day course. Uh, it goes out to 1,350 metres um, with a lot more shooting involved in that one. Things start to get a bit harder, less help with wind, that type of stuff, and, and a bit more sticky situations. And then uh, 1,610 metres or one mile for a four-day advanced course, which we haven't had anyone come through that yet.
0: So, <laughs> next, I'd be happy with 1,000 <laughs> metres for sure, no problem. I'd be happy with that in itself. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you find you find once you once you talk properly and start shooting at the thousand meters, it's really it's really not that hard at all. Um we had one guy, we've had a few guys now come through, they never shot past two hundred meters. Uh, on the second day, by the end of the second day, uh, we do a few little challenges at a thousand meters, you know. And, and uh, yeah, the guys were getting the first round hits and in, in different wind situations out at the thousand meters easily enough, so It's really yeah. Once you once you get things down pat, it's not hard at all.
0: At a thousand meters, say for an example, what what size? I guess would be what is it a target? Is it a gong? What would they be expecting? And what size? Not group, I wouldn't say, but what size target they were they expecting to hit at say a thousand meters?
1: On our courses, yeah. So we've got a a ten mil uh, thick five hundred AR five hundred bisseloy steel plate. I think it's around nearly half half meter wide, uh, which is which is a fair size plate. It's pretty big. We can make sure guys can. And see whether they're getting hits if they hit the steel. We encourage, you know, obviously hits hits in the center of the steel and that. Yeah, it's a it's about a half meter. So I was uh, circle played a thousand.
0: Excellent, man. How, how, personally towards yourself, how did you how did you get into shooting yourself?
1: I come from a uh, army background. Yeah, I was uh, deployed overseas with a SR twenty five sniper rifle and uh, from that learning from that I sort of just yeah, developed a extreme passion for it. Once I got back from overseas and and uh been trained up in it, I yeah, I sort of couldn't get away from it and I've been shooting it ever since. Um, so I've been doing it for a fair while now and I just had some people approach me about it and, and sort of asked them to help it out and it sort of d- developed into courses with more and more people doing it. But but yeah, so essentially I've been shooting my whole life. Uh grew up on farms shooting and that and sort of long range was something that intrigued me. Yeah, and so I, I um followed that up in, in the army. Pretty much it, mate, yeah. So
0: Interesting. You're always learning with a part.
1: lot. it's one of those things. Doesn't doesn't matter how much you know. Like there's always something that that you can learn every time you shoot it too. So
0: absolutely. That's SR25 yourself in the army. What what caliber is that?
1: Uh seven six two, mate. So essentially three hundred eight. Yeah, semi-automatic. Yeah. Nice. So pretty pretty much looks like a it's like it's an AR ten sort of thing, yeah, but so. uh, put it put into like a, a sniper capability.
0: Very interesting. You do any obviously you do some hunting yourself or?
1: Yeah, mate. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I've been. Yeah, obviously I grew up hunting. I uh, do a lot of hunting. Uh, now I'm sort of get, um, just really go long-range hunting now if I, if I go out sort of shooting deer, you know, trying to do some long-range stuff and that. But, yeah, that, that's about it. Anything to, to do with long-range, I'm sort of doing it. Yeah. Uh, when I was younger, I was into the short, being you know, just your typical style hunting and that. But, but now, yeah, I just see how far I can push the limits.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Is anyone else involved with the business, just yourself? You got any helping hands or do you conduct them yourself?
1: Yeah, no. So I got I got a few guys working for me. Um, I got some ex special forces uh, commando snipers. Uh, very intelligent guys, you know. They've, um, yeah, some of the best of the best. Definitely some of the best in Australia. Uh, them guys come down and, and instruct on courses as well. And their their knowledge, their and their background, you yeah, know, it's just, uh, just extremely high quality. And you know, they yeah, they sometimes they bring up things that I don't even know, you know. What? Like, so I'm constantly learning from them too um so yeah they're very knowledgeable blokes as you could imagine
0: yeah so so when someone comes to i guess one of the courses not exactly but what do they what are some of the obviously shooting a thousand meters for example it's a long range shooting course but what are some of the core fundamentals that they'll learn
1: we do you know a lot of people turn up and they all just want to shoot the steel at a thousand meters straight away which is fair enough but basically (laughs) when when, basically it's it's exactly like you said it it comes down to the fundamentals um and that's the fundamentals of marksmanship. You know, like computers can do everything these days with, you know, atmospherics and stuff like that. Um, the old days of, of filling up a data book, going out and shooting in, in every different type of temperature and uh, density altitude, gathering that data and matching it up to, to another day, whatever's close as possible. You know, like that's that's gone out the window now. We've got Kestrels, you know. Uh, everyone's got an app on their phone, has has half an idea how to use it. But um, so so like I'm saying, computers can do everything else. You know, there's, there's two main things that I focus on, and that's the fundamentals of marksmanship. So you got like recoil management, uh, following through in your shots, basic stuff like that, and also wind. Once you start getting out past, you know, in year sort of medium and longer ranges, where wind's going to take effect. So they're the two main things that uh, we really focus on on the courses.
0: It's always interesting, long range. I didn't think I'd be interested in much myself, but once I got out there and started you know, learning a couple of things, like I said, not an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, you definitely learn a lot shooting at long ranges. I mean, compared to, as you said before, like a lot of guys I know will, you know, which is not ideal, with, especially if they're shooting at targets more so, or I mean, sorry, hunting more so, but. Is, you know, like that beyond, like they say, that 150 to 200, they don't know what their bullets are doing. They don't know, you know, how they just think, oh, well, yeah, just hold above its back. Or, you know, if I'm going to shoot the target, I might just aim a couple of inches high, hoping for the best. But it's good to actually know where it's going, at least have a good idea that you're going to be on the money, not be missing and going, well, where did that go and why?
1: Yeah, exactly right. It's one of those things, it's like uh, chasing the rainbow type thing. Well, that's the way I say it with long range shooting, you know, like. You might shoot out at 500 meters and get a hit. You know, and you might start looking into it more. You know, well, why did I get that hit? You know, why did this better perform? Why did this bullet perform better um, than this one? You know, you now this one goes faster. You know, so you can really uh, dive deep into the science behind it too, which is pretty intriguing. You know, and everything leads to to everything else. So um, it's it's pretty intriguing. But yeah, we've you know, I think talking hunting as well. Um, you you want to be you know, give the animal sort of the best possible, uh, death you could give it by, what, by shooting and that. So, so you want to be super accurate, you know, like you want to achieve first round hits, uh, aim for that every time. So it's definitely, uh, it's definitely very addictive and <laughs> it sort of sure is. The, the, the hole just keeps getting deeper, you know.
0: Um, and <laughs> our and our wallets are shrinking down with the amount of money yeah, you spend.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You need to get a secret bank account from the missus, I think.
0: <laughs> the Minister of Finance giving us approval whether we can whether we can go buy some new ones. But um mate, let's talk about that. We you know we'll talk about I mean not so much makes you can if you like, that's fine. Uh, makes and calibers for long-range shooting. I mean, what do we expect? I've got listeners, obviously, that uh, are rich, got a lot of money, and a lot of shooters, they're in their you know, 500 to to $1,000 mark, you know, their howers, tickers. I've got a bunch of tickers. I, I quite like them. I'm not saying it's going to be a long-range rifle, but I've been more than happy with the performance I've got out of mine. But how do they compare to that $5,000 rifle? So, let's, you know, makes, calibers, let's go through that first, actually.
1: Yeah, sure, sure. And that's a common question we get, you know. And the typical one, which we've been hearing, or it's been talked for the last few years. Oh, 6.5 Creedmoor, 308. Um, you know, which one's better? Um, that's a, you could talk hours about that, when, uh, if you break into the ballistic side of it. Obviously, one outperforms one better than the other. Um, the way I look at it, uh, with calibers, you know, um, sort of getting off the subject a bit, but, you could have one guy who's got the highest BC, best gun in the world, um, has, has bugger all data, you know, it cost a million dollars, um, hasn't shot it much. You could have one guy with a rusty old 308, he's a really good shooter, knows the wind. You know, they go up in a competition together at 1,000 metres and the guy, he knows the wind, uh, knows, his, knows his data, he's trued up his rifle. You know, essentially, he's the one who's going to get the first round hits compared to say someone with all the all the gear, no idea. Do you know what I mean?
0: <laughs> yeah, true.
1: So, so, but but as far as um factory rifles go, um, I'm I'm a pretty big fan of howers. I've had um a fair few of them. I like their three O weights because I just just run them hard, you know, and, and use them to train on. Basically, uh, you can jam a lot of rounds down there without wearing out a barrel, pretty much. Um, Tickers, Everything like that to get into the market. There's nothing. There's nothing wrong, but just as long as you're shooting tight groups, you know, sort of reasonable accuracy. I'm a big fan of saying that uh, glass is probably more important than the rifle. Um, having good glass and having poor quality glass uh, on, on say on say a custom rifle um, versus versus a factory rifle. The custom rifle having poor glass and the factory rifle having good glass. You know, like you're going to be a lot more accurate with with something that you can see through better, and it's going to be um, more accurate to what you're dialing, say, compared to something cheaper, you know? So, um, any, any sort of factory rifle with, with a proper barrel profile, um, it, it, like, 308's fine. There's nothing wrong with 308. It, it does the job fine. It, it's good on barrels. Um, the availability for factory ammo for, for long range stuff for guys starting out who aren't hand loading, um, it's probably a bit better than the cream probably a little bit cheaper to run too, um, for the guys that don't have the big budget. So that's something to look at, but like, Get a how how and put a put a good stock on it. Um, muzzle break if you if you want to do it, and, and invest the money into glass. And I think doing that and putting rounds down range and getting good at what you're doing. Uh, suppose they're spending five grand on a on a uh, custom rifle, you know, and having to wait twelve months for the custom rifle to save for it. I think the money would be better invested uh, getting rounds down range, shooting in the wind, taking a course. So so you, you're not guessing straight away you you have the, the, the knowledge and the and the base there to kick off you know doing stuff like that to me in my eyes um that's a better way to invest your in money i think
0: what about for guys that couple of questions there so obviously they can bring their own rifle i'm assuming if they don't have one i guess you would either help them or supply that as part of the training correct
1: yeah that's correct yeah, yeah we have a couple of rifles that are um uh, fully set up uh with all the gear on it to to shoot out to um thousand meters or, or 1600 for the courses and that so Uh, anyone who who doesn't have a rifle uh, as you all know it's expensive to get into you know if they just want to come along try it out see if they like long range before spending who knows what amount on it you can spend a lot you know they can try the course out see if they like long range shooting if it's something they want to get into generally they become pretty addicted uh, after the two days and they do but yeah if not yeah if not bring your own rifle if it's set up correctly.
0: And you were saying what about for guys I mean I purposely bought mine for a reason mine was a ticker varmint and two four three because I wanted to shoot sort of uh, uh, varmints at you know anywhere from 100 to 5-600 metres and it, what about the guys that want to do that want to say shoot varmints or obviously there's other ones they can shoot they want to go three zero eight, obviously for bigger animals when they get much more proficient or targets whichever they decide to choose what about that for guys that may only have say like myself two four three? I mean I've got a three zero eight, but it's obviously a light for hunting but that they've got a long-range rig. They want to bring it over. It's a 223, for an example, which is a common calibre, and they want to shoot long-range varmints at 5,600. Is there something for them in the course too?
1: Yeah. The, the major thing with, with 223, for example, especially being unless it's sort of a custom build with a tight twist, much 223s out of the factory are running like 1 and 9 or, or 1 and 10, even twist rates, um, and the, there's no actual long-range MO because you need proper projectile selection. To actually make the distance. So, like, um, I've had some guy, a guy come out on the hunting course with a two to three running the 69 grain stuff, um, and, and shooting that, uh, and, and it really struggled in the wind, you know, like it really just got pushed around that much and, and his scope didn't have the amount of, um, elevation in it to even, even keep up and push it any further. So I think two to three is good for something for someone who's, who's already got the, the knowledge base and that where they can go you know, do some five hundred meter drills and they've got a good understanding already. But um yeah, I think it's a little bit light to unless you really got that custom building shooting the big long eighty good and stuff out of it or, or whatever else. Um, I really think it's a caliber that's probably probably not the best choice for long range shooting.
0: Yeah, okay. What about stocks you were talking about too? How is important, uh, say, a stock over you know, a factory stock? I put a GRS on mine. Are they a good stock?
1: Yeah, GRS. So GRS are good stocks. Um, when I meant stocks, I mean adaptability, so, so adjustable cheek pieces, uh, adjustable length of pull. A major thing we see coming through the courses is, is guys have uh, – they, they don't have the correct uh, cheek height, so they're constantly lifting their head off the rear of their, of their stock to – Side picture, so any stock wise with um, a good adjustability and, and, and some decent bedding in it, uh, whether it's aluminium pillars or a bedding block or, or whatever else, you know that's what I mean when I say something with, with a decent stock.
0: Mitch, what about um? So someone brings their rifle to the course, you know, factory versus reloading. Some have got interest in it, some don't. What are your recommendations in regards to that?
1: Yeah, definitely, um, pretty big, pretty big one that that usually talk about guys too. Factory ammo. Yeah, you're only limited to, to what you can buy at the shops and, and also availability. Uh, with with long-range projectiles and factory stuff, it's sort of yeah, availability is small. It's increasing. Hornady is really, really pushing it. You know, the, the long-range stuff's getting pretty popular, so there's a lot more options. Um, but but price, yeah, and, and sort of the quality of ammunition you're getting, say, compared to hand loads, you know, there can be a fair difference. Uh with, with hand loads, uh you know, you're you're tuning that load to to that certain rifle. Every rifle's an individual. So uh you, you got projectile selection, you've got a whole whole different range of projectiles that you can choose with your weights and, and also play with how fast you want to push it to achieve certain ballistics and also uh quality wise, so so once you in the in the more technical stuff, once you're talking standard deviation, extreme spreads, so um when that when it gets out to a thousand meters or 1600 meters, you know, uh, the different velocity changes between each round. Um, you, it can make a big difference where in the factory, uh, it's made in a production line. So sort of quality can be there, but it's also going to be made in a certain amount of time where hand lading at home. Um, you can really, really take the time and make sure you, your, charges are equal and everything's consistent, uh, to achieve. Uh, consistent velocities, so you're more accurate, long, longer ranges pretty much.
0: What about that? People with a lot of bars, as you said, six, 6.5s or the Creedmoors, and they talk about ballistic coefficient of bullets. Is that important when it comes to bullet selection, especially if you're reloading?
1: Yeah, definitely. It's, it is it is very important. Ballistic coefficient, some some companies advertise them higher than what they really are. Some, some are really good with what they are. Uh, basically, it's just a number. Uh, designated to a projectile to, to, in layman's terms, describe how well it cuts through the air and, and uh, defies atmospheric, so to say. So you want to you want to achieve uh, as high ballistic coefficient as possible, but at the same time you need to you need to find the happy medium with weight, muzzle velocity, uh, and BC. So you could have a really high high BC heavy pill, if you can't push it fast enough, it pretty much becomes useless. Do you know what I mean? Compared to say Something with a lower b c but it's a bit lighter you can push it faster so you can achieve more with it
0: is velocity an important factor
1: uh, highly important yeah yeah
0: why what so what's you, the reason for that what what's the specific reason
1: well your velocity um it determines how long that that projectile's going to be in the air, so the longer the projectiles in the air um basically the more time that it's there, would be affected by by wind and atmospherics and everything else. So the less time it's in the air, uh, which means pushing it faster, uh, quicker it gets to the target, less things that can affect it. So, yeah, <laughs> muzzle velocity is pretty important.
0: Is there any specific bullet makers that you guys recommend or no, nothing in particular, provided it just shoots accurately and it's been tested?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm I'm a really big Hornady fan of the new ELD stuff, uh, ELD match stuff and ELDX. It was all... It was all made with Doppler Radar, so I found a lot of, a lot of the BCs to be to be spot on. So, yeah, they, they're becoming even more popular. I, I've always used them. Burger, they're another one. Um, really good, consistent pills. Sierra, stuff like that, mate, yeah. Mm-hmm. All the expensive
0: stuff. I know. I use the um, Sierra. They were the uh, eighty-five. It's not two four three, but eighty-five grain hollow point boat tails. And I was. I, I did use. I did use Hornady. I do like Hornady a lot too. But just, I got a few flies in the two four three. Perhaps it could have been yep. my consistency, but it, I'm, I'm, I don't think so. But uh, well, I just thought i will give some Sierras a try. See how they go. My my rent, uh, at a hundred meters went down to a group of pretty on average anywhere between you know. At 50 metres, it was like zero point, less than 0.1. I thought, that's just a test to see how they go. Then I'll push yep. them out to 100. I was getting about almost less than 0.2 of an inch at, at 100 metres, which I thought, all right, this is what I'm going to stay with. And uh, I've noticed after yep. that, the ac- more accurate I can get it, the more accurate, I guess, it is out to long range too. That's that's my idea, and it, it seemed to be proven true as well. I'm really liking those uh, Sierra bullets for sure.
1: Yeah, sure, sure, and that's exactly right. Um, like I say, every rifle is an individual. Some... Some some don't like certain types of ammunition for for some reason. No one knows why. You know, and some shoot good with with other types of ammo. Um, but yeah, with, with pill selection and that, it can be pretty finicky. You, you know, some some guys go for a lot of pills, different different uh, manufacturers. You know, and uh, the the design of the pill. You know, whether it likes to to have a bit of jump, so jumping into the lens and all that technical stuff. You know, and so you can really go down yeah, down a, a deep black hole with hand-loading and, and spend a lot of ammunition in that. But, but yeah, definitely uh, projectile selection and what that rifle likes is, is, is important. The Australian Hunting Podcast is the only hunting, shooting and fishing podcast radio show in Australia. With over 40,000 downloads per month, you are sure to find some information that can help you. If you love hunting, shooting, fishing and a little bit of politics, the Australian Hunting Podcast has you covered. To listen, check us out on iTunes and visit Australianhuntingpodcast.com.au.
0: Is powders important too, or pretty much they're all really good quality these days?
1: Yeah, ADI is sort of on top of it. They're actually Now they do a lot to, to America and that, like under different brand names, but it's ADI powder um adi is really probably one of the world leaders i think in powder and in stability so powder selection is important because you've got different burn rates of powders uh, and those different burn rates can be used to your advantage uh say for your for your barrel length so for example um let's just say you had a, a 16 inch barrel 308. You, you essentially want to try and run a fast burning powder so you can achieve um the best muzzle velocity in that shorter barrel, say, to well, compared to a, a slower powder where you're not going to get the full burn rate uh, by the time the, the projectiles exited the muzzle. So with the faster powder, you would get the full burn rate uh, in that short barrel and just yeah, basically taking taking advantage of it. So it is important, something to sort of read into. A lot of people just sort of pick a powder in that, but um, it, it pays to sort of have a bit of a read, you know, and, and maybe – Maybe have a look at some burn rates and, and work it out with your barrel length.
0: Yeah, what what's the, what do you like to? I mean, just obviously when people do the course, they can you know figure out you know for themselves, I guess with advice too. But what's the preferred, like Obviously high caliber. What what's the go two two oh nine? Is that a popular one these days?
1: Yeah, that's and it's all it's all cartridge dependent. Yeah, uh, a lot of the a lot of the the most common rounds that we see coming through easily is six point five stuff mainly the Creedmoor, three oh eights and three hundred Win Mag. Um, uh, usually in the Creedmoor, the glass hand loading is double two oh nine. Three oh most people using twenty two oh eight. And then in the wind mag, I'm not too sure, I haven't really spoken to what it was about what they're using, but but um yeah, generally generally obviously long range shooting, everyone's got longer longer barrels, so a lot of slower moving powders. So pretty much, yeah, all that slow stuff that that's pretty much used really. And and twenty two oh eight's renowned for um for being pretty pretty temperature stable. So as as the temperature changes throughout the day, um, it'll sort of try it'll sort of stay around the same burn rate so it doesn't affect your, your muzzle velocity too much.
0: And I noticed some in my. Uh, especially when I was using the Hornetys in the two four three, it, it was it wasn't that crash shot on the two two oh eight, but then I tried the two two oh nine, but that was with the Sierras, obviously. No, I did it with the Hornetys as well, but it just didn't seem to like it. it seemed to like the two two oh nine, but I might try when I when I start reloading for my three oh eight because I'm not yet. You know, I've found some some cheap hunting ammo as well. I'm probably going to reload for that as well, but I might try the the two different ones between 08 and oh nine and see if there's a major difference in accuracy. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's just, yeah, as I said, have a look at your, um, your barrel length and sort of work it out, you know, what sort of, what sort of burn rate you'll be going for and, and muzzle loss in that. But, um, yeah, the, rifles are so individual in what they like. One might like something and, you know, the other won't. It'll be total opposite, you know. They're just really, really individual type things. So you got to really play around with them and, and see what it likes to, to, to get the most out of it.
0: Absolutely. What about very important one is, uh, especially when we're selecting a rifle, long range shooting. Some guy might come in with their varmint barrel as opposed to the guy who's got a light barrel. Is there a big difference between the two?
1: Yeah, there is. There is for the purposes of of, of training. Um, with a light barrel, you can still shoot. You can still shoot out to sixteen hundred meters with a light barrel. That, that's that's. There's nothing wrong with that at all, and you can still be just as accurate. Uh, the problem is, is once you start getting into yeah you know, that's that third second third, depending on caliber, fourth shot you really start to heat that barrel up and, and you know and that really comes into to affecting accuracy and everything else, whereas the heavier and also whip as well as things get hotter but uh the the heavier profile barrels like your varmint stuff you know they can they can have a higher string of fire before you know essentially before you go let the barrel cool down you know and it starts affecting your muzzle velocity and internal ballistics that's sort of touching on but um it definitely uh, it definitely plays plays a part but but yeah a lot of barrels uh, like if you don't one or two shots there's nothing wrong with it but um yeah heavy barrel stuff you can sort of you can get a lot more rounds range uh, before the heat starts affecting things
0: yeah I noticed too between the it was much easier and perhaps this, again this is just my rifle I found it was much easier to find that accuracy uh, out of the heavy barrel than I did out of the light barrel again I don't know if that was just my one in particular because I noticed with the two four three as I said when it was the the low the low the lowest charge actually it was pretty good it was pretty good I was happy with that straight away when I went into the middle of the of the charges it started to open up and then when I got to the higher end it just pretty much closed up to like great group so it's it was sort of no it's easy to see that noticeable move whereas when in my light barrel i noticed the jumps in uh powder charges it it, it could have been different depending on which charge it, it moved around quite quickly i don't know if that's normal but that's yeah. what that's what sort of happened to me
1: yeah and that's that's a perfect example of, of the science behind it too like you said um the way you sort of look at it is is when you when you fire and your projectile goes down your barrel. Um, you have vibrations going up and down the barrel, and it creates what they call barrel whip. So the less, the, the thinner, sort of lighter profile barrels, as you could imagine, you know, they're going to have more whip, um, less stability in them. So, so what that does is it really it lowers that accuracy node to, to where where the timing's pretty good because there's going to be so much so much whip in certain times. Um, where with the heavier stuff, uh, it's more rigid barrel, so it can it's pretty much less movement. It's sort of hard to explain without drawing it, but um, so so you have a wider band of, a, of an accuracy you now that you can sort of uh, touch on where because, you, because of that more rigid barrel, basically.
0: Yeah, what what percentage of people come with a varmint versus a light barrel? What's your general percentage?
1: Oh, pretty much. I, I sort of vet everyone before a course to make sure that they're correctly set up so they don't come back to the range, spend spend the money or, or do do the big kilometres and they, and they can't get the most out of it, but Generally, everyone, uh, yeah, has definitely got the heavy barrel stuff. Yeah. I haven't – only, only on the hunting courses is the light stuff, you know, where where we do we do some good demos with that with, with barrel heat and that type of stuff. But, but we're only shooting out to 500 metres too,
0: so. Only. I mean, I tried to shoot some rabbits out to 500. I thought, it's longer than I anticipated. You know what I mean? Like, you'd be surprised when you think, how far is that, you know? And then, like, you might be looking somewhere. You might be overlooking a valley and often you think eh, it's 300 meters well it's 400 you know and you you tend to underestimate the distance sometimes more sometimes less i guess it depends it's a quite interesting thing without i guess without a rangefinder
1: yeah yeah and that's and that's a whole whole another skill set itself judging distances you know there's you know, those little techniques and hints and tricks for for judging distances without a rangefinder and that uh it it's one of those things it's just experience and time doing it um Sort of my background was, was pretty good with that. We've we done a lot of that in the Army, so, so it sort of helped. But range finders these days, you just, unless you, yeah unless your battery goes flat, you know, you, you sort of don't give it a second thought. You just hit it with a range finder now, but... But yeah, it, can, it can be quite, can, quite deceiving with, like, around that type of stuff to, to actual distances.
0: Speaking about, you mentioned before, actually, muzzle brakes. I found that important. Now, with your higher calibers, to maintain your accuracy, uh, is is it recommended to have a muzzle brake? I know, again, just kind of back to my experience with the 243, I noticed when I was shooting the varmints, either I heard the whack when it hit the rabbit or I sometimes had to... I just That, that gun just moved just because I didn't have a muzzle brake, just enough that... I couldn't really tell, so I had to get the binos out and said, oh, yep, yeah, that was a kill, or oh, I might miss yeah, at 450, 500 yeah. metres and see him run away. How important is that on the higher calibers, obviously, to maintain control of the firearm?
1: Yeah, 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 man, that, that's an awesome question. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big believer of muzzle brakes. Um, just the way things have been lately at certain ranges, definitely not our range, um, people with muzzle brakes, they sort of look down upon it or tired to move over to the naughty corner to shoot.
0: <laughs> you know we don't, we
1: don't we don't operate like that, but um yeah muzzle brakes, they're awesome one quite that the, the higher recoiling calibers you know, got you know some guys get a bit flinchy you know if you're being pounded in the shoulder all day they would just recoil yeah they're a bit a little bit louder but it's it's really not that bad you're wearing hearing protection anyway um, the main reason is too so is is to help help fight uh, recoil and that so so proper recoil management and also basically. Uh, I shoot a lot by myself, um, and so I, when I shoot long range, I want to be able to spot spot my shot and and make a correction off it if I miss. So with with the muzzle brakes, you know you don't get that bipod hop, and, and generally, um, you know, shooting off a bench with a muzzle break, a big caliber, or or, or off the ground doesn't matter. Without a muzzle brake, you you know how much that, that that barrel can bounce off the ground and move over. Uh, say compared to having a muzzle brake where you can follow through, get back on target. Fairly quick, you know, and see your own hit. Make the correction, or, or you made a hit. So,
0: yeah, I find that I find that quite interesting. Is there any difference these days? I've seen guys, you know, running around with the the, the bolt-on muzzle brakes I think company that makes those, or the machine screw-on ones. Any particular yeah. preference, or they both work fine? Or,
1: yeah, I, I haven't had much to do with the with these bolt-on ones that I've seen, and that um I'm a little bit probably pedantic with my rifles, and the like, you know. To make sure everything's straight and on there correctly and that. So I've always had threaded ones or, or whatever like that or self timing. But I mean, if they work, they work, you know, like if, if it's someone gets, gets a cheap one and it's bold on, if, it, if that does a job for them, you know, it's, it's just going to be effective. So I don't see a major difference. I, I suppose it's probably comes down to personal preference too and, and or budget.
0: Yeah, speaking and, of that um, muzzle brakes, good, very good question. Any, I mean, obviously I'm not an expert on these things as well. Uh, you know, just, is there any particular brands that are good compared to better ones that really offer great recoil advantages over other types of brakes? Or
1: yeah, there's there's there is mate, and, that, and that's another good question. There, there's a lot of different types of designs where where they do different things. You know, like the radial sole design essentially looks like the end of the, end of the barrel with some drilled a heap of holes in it. It's a bit more kinder on the shooter or the person next year, but the blast uh, goes out sort of 360 degrees at the end of the barrel. Um, it's, it's probably, it's not the most effective way to reduce recoil and muzzle jump, but um, it's a bit kinder to everyone else. You know, so there's sort of pros and cons to different designs, but same time, if you're in a dusty location, it can really kick up a lot of dust. Um, then you have the 90-degree the ports where it comes out and it pushes out 90 degrees each side. Um, trade-off again you get you get a uh, better recoil reduction that type of stuff but also starts becoming a bit louder um and, and those type of things so so you break into that trade-off Say compared to the radial break where it's probably not as loud uh personally i don't see see the, the drama with it when you're wearing hearing protection anyway
0: <laughs> and then, I always two people getting into if you got into shooting because you thought it was not going to be noisy you might if you think it's too noisy they might as well hang up their guns eh?
1: Oh, definitely, mate. And, 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 <laughs> I've and, seen him you know, at Rangers, you know. Yeah. Oh, mate, we had suppressors overseas uh, on, on the SR twenty fives, and you know, there's a lot of times I wish I had ear protection on when I was and I was shooting them. So, there's need to be it need to be wearing it, you know. Or well, back onto the brakes. The most effective brake is one that sort of comes out in a, on a forty five degree angle uh, back towards the shooter. It really reduces recoil and muzzle jump and that and um, stuff like uh, the Terminator stuff or. or APA type brakes, um, yeah, they're they're the 45 degree ones. That's what I use. They're really effective uh, for muzzle jump and recoil reduction.
0: Yeah, you, you were talking about that and brought up another great subject as well. You were talking about having the brakes on there and using bipods, as you know, because I was shooting from a bipod as well and I noticed there was a little bit of jumps. How do you com? What's the best way when long range shooting? Obviously, it needs to be productive. Some guys can come out, I guess, with their you know front front rest and their rear rest and stuff like that. But what how do we get? How do we keep that accuracy from a bipod? So obviously we add the brake. That'll help. But is, is is that the most effective way and most practical way shooting from a bipod and like sort of real world shooting when you get out to the range when you guys are teaching people?
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely bipods um, is is the way to go. And like like you just said, practical, practical wise, they're definitely definitely the main way to go. Yeah, and there's there's a million different types these days. Um, what do you guys
0: recommend is, anyway for for uh... Something that's quality and yeah, something that's going to help them out. Like because obviously, as you start getting those heavy varmints, heavy scopes, you you do quite get a heavy setup there.
1: Yeah, for sure. I I, I use a lot of the Harris bipods, the swivel. So it's always got to be a swivel um, for a very very important reason. Or, or the Atlas with Atlas is pretty pretty pricey for some people, you know. But um, definitely the Harris is is quality. They've been around for for a long time. Um, you get a Harris swivel bipod, and you know that's essentially that's all you, all you really need um, unless you want to start sort of going down the, uh, the atlas path or, or there's, di- there's heaps of different types out now, it's becoming per- personal preference really.
0: Looking for outdoor equipment for your next adventure? At Aussie Outdoor Gear you can find cooking equipment, camo clothing for kids, backpacks, camo accessories and much more. We cater for your hunting, fishing, camping, hiking and other outdoor pursuits with our unique product range. AussieOutdoorGear.com.au Quality gear at affordable prices. Let's talk about one of the very interesting parts about putting some glass on top of our scope. We'll we'll get pretty in depth with this. I think this is a good one. So let's go to everything to do with scopes, you know, so types, reticles, quality, MRA, Milradian, what should we be looking at?
1: Uh, This is a you can get a bit of a touchy subject scope, so I've seen it over the years with
0: you know, <laughs> brand whores and stuff like that. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, pretty much, mate. Certain certain guys are sort of um, stuck on certain brands and vice versa, and you know, if um, one guy's eye like, might look, they might look like the look of a certain glass compared to to someone else. But uh, personally, for me, um, yeah, there's a million different brands in that. Uh, Bushnell really lifted their game uh, in the long range shooting department with scopes and that. Uh, stuff like your, your high-end Vortex, uh, Night Force is definitely one of the leaders. Schmidt and Bender, uh, that type of stuff. But with, with long-range shooting, you sort of need to have a certain standard um, budget-wise to to get the correct glass. The, the cheaper stuff, you know, it just really won't cut it with long-range shooting just due to um, block, turret tracking, that type of stuff. Um, internal elevation, how much is in there, Say so how far you can actually dial up. That type of stuff when it comes to shooting long range because it's not just I oh, would we'll just screw any any scope on and dial it up and shoot it just doesn't work like that.
0: How important is that quality at, at that long distance? Obviously, you know the people are getting up into those prices, realizing obviously they put that price of a scope on there. You know, say fifteen hundred to you know two and a half thousand. They've got the expense of a rifle. You know, reloading gear. How how and you were talking about that initially at the start. How important is that? compared to the rifle? You think you obviously spend more money on the on the scope?
1: Personally, yeah, I would. I definitely would because, like I said, there's a lot of, um, you know, entry-level factory rifles um, or may not be entry-level, however you want to look at it, example the Hauer. Um, and some of the packages they're coming out with now, they've got the 20 MOA rail, basically got everything and, and, and everything ready to shoot out to, to long distance. Um, and... And they're achieving good accuracy too. So, and the accuracy that all you need to start off with. So, I think putting that money into the scope um, is is definitely the way to go because if you're if you're dialing out, say for example, let's just say 10 mils for a thousand meters. Uh, you want you want to make sure when you when you dial up 10 mils, you're getting 10 mils of elevation internally in your scope. So if you're getting if you're dialing up 10 mils and getting 10.5 or 10.4 you instantly going to miss straight away because you're not getting the correct tracking out of your turrets. So that's where so the budget comes in. The, the lower end stuff really, it doesn't track like the like expensive stuff. And so also quality glass. In summer, the mirage, you know, it gets so hot, you can hardly see some targets, um, as you would have noticed. And, and with good good quality glass compared to, you know, cheaper stuff, it's, it's chalk and cheese, basically, of, of how well you can see the target yeah
0: and what should we be looking at especially in uh turrets and that there's obviously you know different types of turrets can you explain that and obviously depending on which yeah and again going back to m r a or Milrad what's your what's your preference on that one
1: yeah yep yep it's definitely Mills definitely Mills is the way to go um MOA was instilled years ago in, in the in the older generation you know when it was sort of taught and sort of stuck with it and, and Mills came out and you know, people didn't understand it, but actually, mills is a hundred times easier to learn on than minute of angle, um, especially if you're working from minute of angle to meters and making conversions. Where mills essentially is meters, um, that's what you're working. You know, it's quite, it's fast and, and, and accurate. Um, personally, yeah, I've taught a heap of guys now on mills, especially guys, older guys that are, that have been drilled with MOA, and they said, "Look, this is so much, that's so much easier to use." You know. It's definitely um, definitely a good system for anyone who's who's looking to get into it. I'd highly advise you, yeah going over to mill radians.
0: I must admit it is easier too sometimes. When I've been out, if you've got a first focal plane scope and you know you're at a hundred meters and you might be a mil high, you're, you're a mill down, mate. Done. It's pretty much on the money. It's a lot easier to even just use off your target to see where you're at.
1: Yeah, exactly right, mate. Yeah, exactly right. Where where with with MOA, it can get a little bit confusing, you know, and and and. Yeah, because we we work in meters here, you know, people can uh, identify a meter easily, um, how how big a meter is, and also that it's easier for them to identify, say, oh that's 100 meters, that's 200 meters, that essentially just converts back into milliradians, um, once once you've got it worked out, you know, and and you're just relaying the same thing, where minute of uh, minute of angle, you're working in inches, you know, like it's uh it's hard. Unless you're working in yards and that, where you know the, a lot of the younger generation now, you know no, no one sort of works in yards, so so that's why we encourage everyone to to choose mills.
0: So what's the story with these crazy scope manufacturers that decide? And I got into this myself, and it was very frustrating. They do MOA turrets or similar, and oh, and, and yeah. a mill dot reticle. What is yeah. that? What's wrong with these scope manufacturers?
1: Yeah, so that's that's like the uh, the old school. That that was like the transitional zone where. Where back in the day, where everything used to be minute of angle, uh, mills mills originated as, as the little the old school mill dots that you've seen. Um, so they started using that for wind and that the, the old mill dots and got away from MOA because it was easier with, with some of their formulas and that. So so that's how sort of mills developed and and they started putting it in radicals. Um, I don't know who, who thought of it and what they <laughs> done. It just doesn't doesn't make sense. But yeah, then eventually someone worked out. Well, why don't we have same mills, you know, in a turret, like it's in a reticle. And here we are today. So, well,
0: on the first focal point, Scott, I know some of the depends, some of the high end ones, not, not really, but you know, generally, if you've got one mil, there's 0.1 of a click per mil, or per mil, so 10 clicks per mil. Um, is that, is that important as I know some of the cheaper ones? I think pretty sure some Vortex, I know some of the Hawk, I think as well. Um, they go in, you know, they have five clicks per. One mil revolution, whatever you, however you'd say it, is that make a lot of difference in those fine calculations at the longer distances, and how important is that that issue that aspect of it?
1: Are you talking about like uh, one tenth?
0: Yeah, clicks? that's right. Yeah, yeah, one tenth of a click per. Or yeah,
1: say so, say so, yeah. say so compared to like zero point two. That's right. Tenths, yeah, that's clicks? right. Yeah, so you have yeah, instead of five
0: clicks per mil, or on the my scope, as you said before, Bushnell DMR two, I've got ten clicks to get to that, you know, point 0.1 of a click to get to that mil, you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. Is, is that make yeah. a big difference in the grand scheme of things or not really?
1: Yeah, it definitely does because if you're working in in, in one-tenth clicks, so point one clicks, 10 clicks to, to one mil, it's really easy system to use where if you're using point, 0.25 tenths, um, essentially you're, you're four clicks to make point 0.1 mil where, where with, with, with normal one-tenth escape, you're just one click for, for 1.10 mil. Uh, it can sound confusing explaining it, um, but once you sort of looked at it on paper or on a scope, it can get really confusing with 0.25 tenth mils. It's just it's really fine. Uh, that's probably something where where uh, mil radians versus minute of angle. Um, you, with mil radians and, and one tenth mil clicks, you can only get one centimeter clicks at a time. Where we, with minute of angle, you know, you can do quarter of an inch, which is pretty small. You know, 0.25 of an inch. It's a pretty small movement uh, with, with mills, as I just said. Yeah, you can move once. You're limited to one centimetre, basically.
0: I noticed a difference on their one, too. There was, I had a, like, for a 22 I've got now. It's a German company, Optisan, it's called. Now, this was hilarious when I actually bought this for the 22. Now, well, I want to shoot, like, a bit of, you know, long range, a bit of fun, shoot some gongs and stuff at, like, 150 metres, but... Like, it just goes to show these scope manufacturers, whilst obviously it's not a high-end scope, it's a low to, you know, might say middle if you're lucky. You know, I don't think you're to get that far even. But it goes to 4.7 mils. Like, why on earth would, you know, the revolutions go to 4.7? So if it says to me, all right, I've got to go to 6, I've got to go to 4.7, and then I've got to go, all right, six, so I need another 1.3. And it's, it's, it's never going to add up when you start getting into that second revolution. So I just don't know why they didn't make it an even five mils per rotation or whatever. I mean, that it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah like yeah. 4.7. Right, I t- yeah, so if, I, if I've got to go to six, I've got to go 4.7. And then I've got to go to uh, 0.3 for that three and then get another mil up. So it could be 1.3, you know, and I'm like, well, it's not that hard. But if you start getting into like, you know, okay, it says 7.4, you've got to go, all right, well, 4.7. All right, another whole mil brings me to (laughs) 0.7, you know, then you've got to start, uh, that could be, especially if you're shooting targets, it's probably not a huge deal. But if you're shooting, you know, game and that, and obviously it's, it's out in front of you, you want to try and do this as generally as quick as you possibly can to try and get a shot off, you know.
1: Yeah, definitely, mate. You're talking a lot you know, the, the practical rifle scene now, or a lot of long range competitions that are happening and starting up long range hunting. You know, you want to be, you want to be fast and effective. You, you really don't want to be, um, calculating how many, how many mills you're dialing up on your, on your turret or whatever. That sort of just should become, you know, like an instinct. You know, you just bang, do it with your hand. Not, you're yeah, not having to worry about that. That's just, yeah, that wouldn't work for me. I'd really really struggle with
0: that, I think. <laughs> I think so, me too. Speaking, just one other thing going on with just Scopes, you were saying, when we're, they're shooting long-range in these courses, are they using, obviously, you've using. we'll talk about apps in just a few moments, but if they're talking about reticles, are you generally uh, using the apps to to hold over and use, say, a, a quality, decent, you know, Milrad reticle, or are you concentrating more on uh, making sure you, you're clicking up and for the wind, clicking for the wind, and then shooting dead on?
1: Yeah, for the basic courses, you know, we we, we really just get them working on the turrets, uh elevation only. Uh, Windage, we don't dial wind, we we hold wind. That's why we encourage first focal plane scopes. Um, so so we yeah we we dial everything because there's a lot of uh, things we go over with with uh, pre and post uh, post shot checklists and that to to make sure guys get him in a bit of a habit. So so if they're in a comp or, or shooting long-range hunting to make sure that after they shoot that range, they dial back down to zero. Instead of leaving that dope on, they might go go to shoot a thousand meters and they got 500 meters dialed on on their turret, you know. Um, and they and they haven't they haven't dialed it in, so they're going to miss. So we we encourage using um, um, the turrets and that sort of as they get a better knowledge base, um, go home do a bit of practice, get into the to the intermediate stuff, you know. We'll really sort of harp on sort of speed. By using your um, your mill radicals to to shoot by holdover hold and that type of stuff, you know.
0: And what about wind? You were talking about wind as well, which is definitely an important factor. How are you guys measuring wind? Some guy gets out to do a course, he's in the field. How does he measure wind? What's the best and most appropriate way?
1: Well, wind, wind's a bit of a hard one. Uh, the best way to measure wind is by is by experiencing it and, and doing a lot of shooting in it. You know, we we you can measure wind where you are. Um, at your firing position with a Kestrel can give you wind speed, um, that type of stuff. Basically, you know, unless you're like applied ballistics where you can have wind meters running down a whole range for for ballistic purposes and that, you know, your general, general person like you and me, you know, you sort of got to rely on experience. So measuring wind comes down to using mirage, your body, you know, wind on your face, grass, dust, um, trees, any, anything and everything that you can use, you know, to your advantage, it will make you a better shooter in the wind. So basically, it, it, it's really an experience thing. You need to get that time up, rounds down range to really become a good shooter in the wind. So it's just, it's one of those things, um, there's no great voodoo behind wind. It's just, yeah, it's this experience and, and basically practicing uh, calling wind and calculating the wind speeds.
0: Yeah, and if, uh, pretty much a final question, mate. Uh, Rails—you're talking about obviously scope, putting your uh, uh, your scope on a rail. You know, do you recommend just your flat flat zero, or is uh, it plus? Is it twenty twenty MOA? I think it is uh, rail. What do you recommend people coming in if they're going to buy one?
1: Yeah, definitely the, the sort of industry standard, or whatever now, if you want to call that, is definitely a twenty MOA slash six mil rail, um, either one. So six mil base. So Canon rail. Uh, reason behind that is. A lot of the scopes, you know, if they're not some of the more high-end scopes, you know, they, they might only have a certain amount of elevation uh, built inside the scope that you can use to dial up. So if your scope's not canon, if, if it's on, say, a zero MOA rail, um, it's, it's on the same axis as the ball, you really you have to dial up on your turret to bring your reticle down to, to match it up with your bullet path to sight it in. So say you've sighted it in um, and, and you, you return your turrets back to zero, once you start to go dialing up, um, you're already sort of chewed into a lot of your elevation where if you canted your scope already before zeroing, so it's canted on that rail, um, you're not chewing up into, into your up elevation so much to get your 100 meter zero, therefore giving you that, that extra uh, elevation to, to dial out as far as you need to.
0: Absolutely. Mate, just to finish off, any quick stories you can tell us? Uh, it can be anything you want. My my listeners always love a good story. So it could be you know, a client doing something great when you when you had them on a on a course or a personal accomplishment yourself or a great shot you've pulled off yourself. Anything, any little interesting story you can tell us?
1: Oh, really no, really, mate. The longest shot I've had <laughs> yeah. um, lately is with a is the old three hundred eight on a go to nine hundred and thirty meters. That's that's my longest shot, um, probably as of late with the old three hundred eight. And people say it, it can't do it, but it can. Um, I know that. Uh, the guys in the states hot net hot, reckons he shot a pig at 1600 meters with a 308 and the projectile went straight through so which is which is surprising I thought it wouldn't have but something to think about uh, also also we'll throw into there next year uh, we're going to be running some some good competitions i uh, going to be pretty pretty hot, high profile uh, looking that way at the moment so any guys looking in to get any type of long-range shooting competition stuff you know we're going to be um running some
0: all right mate and uh actually one last question very interesting one you were talking you know you shoot the different types of bullets they're more i guess if you're doing the training be match grade sort of bullets i mean is there a big difference between those and people's hunting bullets if they are wanting to hunt long range and shoot that long range
1: definitely is mate yeah and that's and that's the part of the course i spend a bit of time on and really explaining to the guys um, projectile selection. So yeah, certain match bullets can be used for hunting and, and are effective out at long ranges. Um, probably not effective in closer ranges because of the thinner jackets and that. And then you know you got to trade off for BC versus versus effectiveness for hunting. Where stuff like your soft, you know your your soft nose, your typical like Remington Core Lock stuff, uh, the way it's designed, you know, it's not going to be good for for long range stuff because it's got a lot of drag there. It's not really aerodynamic. So it's just, just something to look at, you know, like Hornady EODX is meant to be the best of both worlds, so good for hunting and also high BC aerodynamic. So definitely definitely something to read upon before just going out and purchasing any of your gear, you know. One thing I'd suggest is sort of look at your purpose, what you're going to do with it, uh, read, in, read into, you know, if you do want to shoot long range with it, do a bit of study before you go out and, and spend all your money and realise that you sort of wanted something else or something would have been better served with you, so...
0: Yeah, and one... I thought I'd just throw in one last one there because I thought it was important. Like, say you, yep. you, you someone's got their standard three-hour weight. Heavier bullets, lighter bullets, what's the recommendation?
1: Oh, that's a hard one, mate. Um, generally, that 155 to 175, 178 grains uh, optimised for the three-hour weight. Depending, depending, obviously, if you're hand-loading in that or, or factory, you're sort of limited to what's there. Once again, that's the, the pros and cons of it. But, yeah, definitely... After you sort of get above that 175, 178, the 308 doesn't have the powder or the puff behind it to take advantage of the heavier stuff. And then below 155 or 150, you know, it's sort of becoming too light. The BCs are low enough, you know, so you're not really taking advantage of the pill. So sort of in that that range, and you you won't go wrong.
0: Perfect. All right, Mitch Brewer joins us from 365 Precision Training on how to to shoot long range. Mate, just quickly before we finish off, uh, just tell us that uh, website if they want to get in contact how they do it again.
1: Yeah, sure, mate. Uh, If you want to get in contact, you can hit us up on Facebook uh, or on Instagram, website www.365precisiontraining.com, or you can jump on the website and get my mobile.
0: Perfect. Mitch, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it.
1: No worries, mate. Appreciate it.
0: You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.